Hey now, welcome to Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next so you have enough time to watch it. If you enjoy Random Movie Club, you can help keep it going by supporting us on Patreon. Supporters get special benefits like bonus episodes, patron-only events, giveaways, and more. Show your support for Random Movie Club and The Geek Generation by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com support. On this episode, I'll be discussing Mad Max Fury Road with Roger Andrews. Let's roll the film. Mad Max Fury Road was released in 2015 from director George Miller. Written by Miller, Brendan McCarthy, and Nick Lathoris, the film stars Tom Hardy, Charlize Theron, and Nicholas Holt. Okay, so Roger. Yes. Why did you choose this movie? Uh, Mad Max Fury Road, probably, um, it, it cracked my top 10 all time, which is saying a lot for a movie that so how many years old? It's only a few years old. Yep. It might be the most visceral, intense, pure, gut-wrenching action flick that I've ever seen. There's something about that movie that is, is purely like, um, it's almost emotional mm-hmm. and it's almost abusive in, how, <laughs> in how, it, uh, how, it, how it plays. It's relentless is the word I use most often. Right? And, and there's, there's, a, but that, there's a quality in it. You know, one thing I noticed about it, because George Miller, the director- He's been like sitting on this movie for decades. Mm-hmm. What happens with that is you've got someone who's been probably editing and re-editing and storyboarding and changing angles and changing and, and, and sort of honing it down. And it's so streamlined and so intense in such a short period of time that that's to me what makes it the most rewarding of the action flicks. Okay. There's something about that that's inherently rewatchable mm-hmm. because it's short. And the plot is simple, and it literally is your, your shot out of a cannon, like right from the start. Yeah. And so for me, I love it so much because it, I could throw it on at any time. I could watch it at any point the, during the film mm-hmm. and, and be rewarded. Yeah. So that's my, that's my take on it. The, the thing for me with this movie, the biggest thing that I like about it is that George Miller is a master at creating a world. There's backstories for like everything. We find out so little about some of them. Yet we know they're there, in his brain at least. Right. And there's a point where um, the world building is so intricate, yet, like you said, it's, it's only on the surface. Mm-hmm. So we're, obviously we have to kind of fill in the blanks. Yeah. But I don't know that there are blanks. There are some. Yeah. There are some. There are probably some, some lingering questions. Yeah. But there, uh, the questions I have, a lot of them are answered. If you really kind of just kind of it answered in the rewatching. Sure. The first take, it's literally that gut punch. Oh, yeah, it's right? hard. <laughs> the first viewing is that gut punch. Yeah, yeah. And um, just to give you a little background, I saw it at the premiere in Boston Okay. at the, I think it's the AMC on yeah, Tremont yeah. Street. Yep. And uh, well, you weren't there for that, were you? No. <laughs> I was going to say. And so I had no clue. I went in kind of blind. I didn't see any of the trailers. Didn't see anything. I just got an invite to go see it. Mm-hmm. Stood in line, sat down, and it literally kicks you in the face. Like right out of the gate. Mm. And I didn't know what to expect. 
And within 10 minutes, I was like, this might be the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. And and you got to understand, I'm I'm a kid who grew up with Star Wars and I grew up with all the pop culture things sure. that everyone loves. And there are great dramatic films and there are great films that are uh, sci-fi and there are, you know, there are war pictures and all that. But it's got all of that in it, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe it's not the most dramatic and maybe the dialogue is a little otherworldly. Sure. But it doesn't matter because like you said George Miller built that world. And um, for me, anyways, I love it so much that it's it's contained. I know it's of that universe. Okay. Yeah, right? it is. They are the Mad Max stories are kind of standalone films. Right. Yeah. But this one in particular is um it feels like it's it's of that universe, but it's advanced. It's mm-hmm. almost like it's been um it's been it's given a shot of steroids or something. It's yeah, you know, it's not Road Warrior and it's not, you know, beyond Thunderdome. It's it's it, it's harsher in a lot of it's ways. It's the Max those. and the Furious. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Max and the Furious, <laughs> yeah. I know. And um I know there are a lot of people who love the Fast and the Furious movies. But I defy any of them to compare the stunts, you oh, know, the CG yeah. generated stunts versus these actual stuntmen mm-hmm. in vehicles getting hurled around. I don't know. I wonder how many people got hurt. I know, doing right? that movie. You know, and George Miller's like, next, next take, right? <laughs> keep so, moving. Yeah, keep it moving. Yeah. So anyway, so that's my take on cool. it. Cool. Uh, well, as I always do, I go to IMDb and gather a whole bunch of trivia. Uh, because this movie is not as plot heavy as a lot of the other ones that we discuss, I gathered even more trivia, and there's a ton of it, as you can expect, with a world this kind of rich. Yes. So, for one, this film, and this is a rarity, we've talked about this on a few other shows, but this film was shot entirely in sequence. Crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. When you have that amount of like stunt set pieces, that's like extra nuts. Because right. you would think there would have to be ones that follow certain ones just based on what you have available at a given time but shot in sequence so that's that goes to the point i was making earlier rob like about like george miller's been sitting on it for so long Mm -hmm. so i imagine he's filmed that movie a hundred times in his head yeah so he knows and he and obviously he's you know he's a master so Mm -hmm. he knows how to uh, compose the shots and it's probably composed those shots in that order in that sequence and honed it down to what we got to see yeah so that that probably helps over 80% of the effects seen in the film are practical effects, including stunts, makeup, and sets. CGI was used sparingly, mainly to enhance the Namibian landscape, remove stunt rigging, and for Furios's left arm, which is a prosthetic limb in the movie. So. Right, yeah. Which is, which is, I mean, it's it's evident, right? It's so evident. It's, it goes to the point of why it feels so um, authentic. Yes, absolutely. And why it's going to be able to stand the test of time where some computer-generated movies might not be able to. Yeah, you're right. And it's clean, though. That being said, I mean, maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's it's why it feels... It's clean in a filthy world. Yeah, it really is, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe that's why it feels so much more advanced than the old ones. Obviously, the old ones were probably, you know, filmed on film. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking in the 80s. <laughs> you know, everything was just grimier in the 80s. Trust True. me, I lived through it. <laughs> but there's a, but it's it's pristine in its, in its grit. Mm-hmm. And you can see that being something in 10 years from now. You could you could fire it up and be like, yeah, this this goes right in with whatever advanced 3d you know hyper virtual reality thing we're going to be watching movies in the future and it it seems like it would be immersive immersive in that in the future as well tom hardy suffered a broken nose during filming when Charlize theron accidentally elbowed him she was wearing a green arm cast at the time which was used so the graphics artists could digitally remove the arm oh okay just so (laughs) accidental cast so like i said people got hurt doing it including the cast no doubt 
As a result of Charlize Theron shaving her head for this movie, she had to wear a wig for her role in A Million Days to Die in the West. Ah, interesting. A Million Days? A Million Ways to Die in the West. <laughs> yeah, it felt like a million days watching that <laughs> It one. did. That was not a strong movie. Uh-uh. Editor Margaret Sixel had roughly 470 hours of footage to edit. Watching it took three months. Oh, wow. That's about half the amount of time it takes you to edit one of these podcasts, right? <laughs> yeah, about. <laughs> George Miller's wife, by the way. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. Nice. The flame shooting guitarist, one of the standouts of the movie, in my opinion, is Australian artist musician Sean Hape, better known as Iota. In an interview on Vice, he said the guitar weighed 132 pounds and shot real gas powered flames, which he controlled using the whammy bar. What? (laughs) That's madness, right? Right. Not only like the the heft of it, but the right. fact that he was under control of it. Not only that, he was shooting live flame. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's, again, there's no CG juice happening. That's some flame. <laughs> you know, how badass was that? Yeah, and how hot! Already you're in the desert, and he's shooting flames. Yeah, crazy. Oh my god. Regarding the look of the film, director George Miller laid down two stipulations for the production to follow. Firstly. The cinematography would be as colorful as possible in order to differentiate the film from other post-apocalyptic movies, which typically have bleak, desaturated colors. Secondly, the art direction would be as beautiful as possible, as Miller reasoned that people living in the post-apocalypse would try to find whatever scraps of beauty they could in their meager environment. Right. And that goes to the uh, the world building we discussed yep. earlier. I mean, every single aspect. And when you rewatch it, just the earlier parts of the movie when they're in, you know, we're in oh, the that, Citadel, the Citadel. Yeah. It's insane. If there are so many little design features, some, mm-hmm. so many different art directed features, again, being an art guy, yeah, being a guy who's actually, you know, been involved in creating product. Mm-hmm. There's something about the lushness and the richness of seeing these little background elements. These, there's a scene when they have, um, where they're selecting their, uh, uh, their steering wheels. Yes. Remember the war boys are selecting the steering wheels yeah. in that altar. That in in the icon, even the Emo and Joe icon, like everything about that is is thought through and designed. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know how much of it George George Miller actually like sat down and sketched out, but him and his art team, that's like that. Think about how incredible that is to yeah. come up with that kind of world, you know, a long sustaining world as well. At that, to come too. up with a logo for the character that you don't even see that often, no, but is important to it's just important the whole backstory, and you, and it gets branded on, yeah, <laughs> it gets branded on everybody, absolutely. Too. You know, according to Rosie Huntington Whiteley, uh, whenever she or the other wives clothes slipped, Tom Hardy would never tell them directly and said he would <laughs> act out a cartoonish eye popping action to let them know. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, Tom Hardy's a cat. Oh, no doubt. You know, that dude is a cat. Yeah. There's no doubt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and with those that with that kind of a wardrobe, I'm sure it happened all the time. Oh, yeah. There must have been some slippage. Yeah. yeah. So, so to speak. <laughs> That's why they had to reshoot scenes more than anything. <laughs> Be like, right. never mind these crazy. Yeah. Stunts. What was it? Three hundred and something hours. How many 470. hours? 470. 470. At least 70. <laughs> 70 <laughs> hours of slippage. Yeah. yeah. The jacket worn by Tom Hardy is a replica of the one worn by Mel Gibson in the last two movies of the original trilogy. The original Gibson jacket was found in storage at Kennedy Miller and copied heavily. Oh, okay. You know, I don't know how much you want to get off the beaten path, Mm -hmm. but like, how do you feel about that, about him as Max? It was very easy for me to accept him as Max because this is the only Mad Max movie I've ever seen. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, after seeing it, would you go back and watch Road Warrior, for example? 
I don't know, uh, just because, well, one, Mel Gibson is Mel Gibson as we know him now, uh-huh. so it's a little harder to watch yeah. his old stuff. I've never loved, loved post-apocalyptic stuff just because, and I've said this before for other movies, I don't love barren wastelands for oh, setting okay. because already when you're giving me something visually less interesting, mm-hmm. I'm not as pulled into it right. because I have less to kind of engage me visually. Well, that that probably goes to the fact that you love everything in set in Gotham City. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> so, so the fact that you've got some, you know, you got buildings and you've got windows and you got yeah. life in there. I, I, I can see I can see that point. Yeah, yeah. Even though it's all just like gray anyway, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> As I immediately contradict myself. No, no, no. This subway cars no, and yeah, this, you know, so depending on who's drawing it, this Gotham blimp, is full of life. This blimps in the sky in yeah, Gotham. Yeah. yeah. Depending on who's drawing it. Yeah, like you good. give me a desert or if you give me like an Arctic wasteland, I'm like, eh. Eh, yeah, so it's much. just dull. So you're not feeling frozen either then, huh? Probably not. I liked frozen. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, counting the opening voiceovers and discounting any grunts, Max has exactly 52 lines. 52 lines. It's not a lot. And probably there's no more. In each line, there's probably no more than 12 words. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. And then in Morton Joe has a speech, I remember, in the, in the early part of it yeah, too. And that, yeah. that maybe most of the lines well, that's was that. Joe. I'm talking yeah. about Max himself. Oh, Max himself. Max I himself see. Okay, has yep. 52 lines of dialogue. Wow, that's... You're right, discluding the grunts, of course. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I got There's you. There's a lot of stuff he does with just, like, moving. Yeah, that's right. Like, and especially when he, when he shows up uh, for the first time at the, the war rig where the wives are there and stuff. Yeah. He's just like gesturing and like, <clears throat> like that's how oh, yeah, he's that, ordering people yeah, around. That crazy like Buster Keaton like yeah. <laughs> scene there. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, night scenes were filmed in bright daylight, deliberately overexposed and color manipulated. In many shots, the sky was digitally replaced with more detailed or interesting skies. Right. Yeah. And that again, that goes to the intensity that it, it occurs to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna gush over this film yeah, in every stage. But um, you know, if I'm being if I'm playing devil's advocate. I know a lot of the criticism in the movie is not necessarily the visuals or the effects or the action. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is the simplicity of the plot. I was curious, like, what you thought of that. That is my biggest criticism okay. of it, for sure. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, because let's face it, it is like we're getting in the rig and we're and we're going. Yeah, and then, and then we're coming back, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's the it. movie. That's it, right? And, I mean, there's some little like meaningful things here and there in between, but that is essentially the plot. Right. That was my biggest problem with it, and the fact that. Unlike you, I don't find it to be a very rewatchable movie right. just because it is so relentless. Like, it takes me energy to watch this <laughs> and to deal with. Like, it's interesting because I just said it takes place in kind of like a barren, a yeah. barren kind of wasteland, but there's so much going on, right. which is one of the reasons that I do like the movie. Okay. Because even though it's set in a barren wasteland, there's so much to look I at. I probably should have asked you before we started i mean did you so you like oh, i movie. like i like talking about that at the end okay oh i got you because, we'll wait all right yeah. i got well, you i mean I'll, i will i'll tell you now because you asked uh i i like it right i don't love it i like it okay but more than anything i respect it right it is a good movie it's audacious right yeah. i mean it's, super it's not a hundred percent my taste that's right. the only reason right it's it's an incredibly made movie right. and you can't argue that here's the thing i wonder if i can convert you like i did with uh, game of thrones i wonder because here's the thing about it you know how you say it's not rewatchable Mm -hmm. oftentimes there are films that come out you watch it the one time and you're like well i'm good i liked it i'm good yeah and then you throw it on that second time and it could be a year later or it could be you know it could be two or it could be a month later Mm -hmm. and then obviously you're in the right mindset yeah you're in the right place for it maybe you've heard some opinions from others and it kind of it shapes how you rewatch it 
I'm wondering if there's there's an opportunity down the road, maybe not today, yeah. <laughs> but maybe I wonder if and you watch this, oh, you know what? It's richer now the second time. I've and now that's seen what happened it for me four times. All right, so all right, so you you put yeah. your, you put your miles in, all right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, you've run you've run some laps. Yeah, right? and um, yeah, I mean it's 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 not because it's not a movie worth rewatching or it doesn't have the stuff to rewatch. Yep, it's just the fact that it's exhausting for me to rewatch it because it is so relentless. Right. Yeah. It's it and it does it does the relentlessness diminish after the fourth viewing or is it is it as intense? Hmm. You know, I, I think wonder. I think it actually. You know what? Maybe if maybe it's a movie that becomes more rewatchable as you rewatch it, but you have yeah. to get to that point. There's probably a threshold. <laughs> There's a pain point you haven't reached yeah, yet. Yeah, I don't think I've hit that point yet. No, you have not reached a pain point. Maybe I you just need have it. to sit down and watch it over and over again. That's right. Until, it needs to. Yeah, you need yeah. to. Yeah, you need to be. Uh, <laughs> you know, Clockwork Orange. Those little clips on your eyes. And rewatch it over and yeah. over and over again to the point where it's like, all right, that's like that must be it. It's like watching Mary Poppins now. Yeah, no, that's what you need to get to. <laughs> uh, Charlize Theron's and Tom Hardy's stunt doubles met on the set of this movie, fell in love, got married, and have since founded a school in New Zealand for training stunt performers. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so <laughs> love, on love on the set. Love on the set. Love in the desert, huh? That's right. All right. Quentin Kenahan, the actor playing Corpus Colossus, is disabled in real life. He has osteogenesis imperfecta, which was previously depicted in the movie Unbreakable. No prosthetics, puppets, or special effects were used. The only alterations to Mr. Kenahan were makeup. So that's the little brother. It is. Okay, gotcha. Yep. I just had to... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I made, no, that's I made it. a leap on that one. Yeah, the, li- the little brother. You guessed correctly. Okay, right, yeah. Yep. When Max awakes abruptly from his dream right after the blue sequence, the last image of his dream is a close view of eyes popping out of a face. This footage is from 1979's Mad Max when Toe Cutter is killed. Ah, Toe Cutter, right? So there's you know, a direct homage. You know, that brings me to a good point. It's like the names in these movies. All actually, all of George Miller's um, in in this series, People of, Eater, yeah. Bullet Dealer. Yeah, like it's it's um really unique. You know, <laughs> some and there's some ones that are a little on the nose. That mm-hmm. would be my only critique of it. There's some there's some on the nose names in that's in, very in, true. That, in that lineage. The cross belts that the Valkyrie, played by Megan Gale, wears are the same belts Max wore in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. The brass belt buckle has been covered or replaced. Gale had previously been cast in Miller's canceled Justice League movie. The Valkyrie was originally supposed to live, but Gale became pregnant during production and had to leave early, so Miller decided to kill her character off. Oh, I see. She was supposed to be Wonder Woman. Wow. That's that's an interesting take. Yeah. I mean, Gal Gadot is, I mean... Yeah, she does yeah. her thing. I mean, so, but here's the thing though George Miller doing Justice League. Now, mm. I don't know about that. No, I like the idea from like he's clearly able to build a world in a movie. I'm not sure he would have accepted the world instead of building his own. It's a tricky thing when you're dealing with it's, DC, it's DC's property. Yeah. You know, you're going to, you're going to someone's house and you're rearranging their furniture. I mean, it's. I feel like he might have wanted to bring a lot of his own stuff into it, right? Which might not have sat well with the comic book fans. So, so Toe Cutter is not doesn't live in <laughs> does not live in Gotham. No, no, I got you. Australian crows or ravens are used in the Mad Max films, including Fury Road, as symbols of death and destruction. So you're saying there those are there are real crows in there. Probably. This this guy's crazy. Probably. <laughs> He's a madman. Yeah. Uh, you notice um, there's the part where Max disappears for a moment and takes care of the bullet dealer kind of off screen. Yes. 
and he comes back. But before he reappears, we see a bunch of the birds right. fly, kind of letting us know what happened. Yeah, you know that the gun, there was some there was some <laughs> some shenanigans happening. Yeah, down aside there. from the big explosion, that was uh, the bullet. Was it bullet farmer? Right, bullet farmer. Yeah, that's bullet it. Farmer, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the exception of Max and Nux, all of the film's male characters are villains. Conversely, all of the female characters are good. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's an interesting, uh, another interesting thing to go into a bit. It's not controversial, but there's there's a female empowerment Absolutely. element to it. And I don't know if, obviously, when he wrote it so many years ago, I don't know if that was in there or if he sort of um, saw the writing on the wall and sort of adapted his Maybe. screenplay he to make did that happen. Bring, I didn't include this in the trivia, but he did bring in a consultant mm-hmm. to kind of look over the script from a feminist point of view. And be like, is this okay? Right. And then listen, there are some damsels in there. I mean, obviously all the wives are damsels, yeah. but the women are ferocious. You know, of course, you know, Imperiosa, of course, but I mean, uh, Furiosa. What did I say? Imperiosa? <laughs> <laughs> did I just combine her? That's the her? Star Wars version. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. But I mean, the fact is they, uh, all the women, well, most of the women have agency. It's true. Which is, you know, I imagine, you know, that I have daughters, <laughs> you know, this kind of a big thing to think that they could... Someday in a real distant future, watch this movie because neither one of them are of age. <laughs> yeah. Actually, now the older one is. But um, the fact is that they can see characters that they can identify with mm. or certainly aspire to be that ferocious. You know, sure. that's that's I think that's cool. Absolutely. When engine number one of the war rig breaks down during the final chase to the Citadel, the sound it makes is the same sound the Millennium Falcon makes when it breaks ah. down and the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Cool. You cool. subconsciously knew that, which is right. why you said Imperial. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, see, it was, I was bringing it in. Yep. But actually, you bring a, bring up a great point. Sound design mm-hmm. is very strong in this movie. Oh, so strong. That open, just the revving mm-hmm. of, the, of, the, of the engines and everything and, and the collisions. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. Maybe, again, that again that goes to the quality, the intensity quality I've been sort of harping on. Mm. That sound design in that is unlike any other. Yeah, I mean, again, I know the Fast and the Furious movies do a lot with the uh, with the revving of the engines and the and the impacts and the and the screeching and all that. But there's something unique about the way the impact, the way things collide. For sure, you know, it's beyond just the visual. The visual of actually seeing two machines smash into each other. Mm-hmm. There's something about the collisions. I don't know how it was. I don't know if that's in in, in the research, but it's no, not. But no. that, yeah, no, you're right. right. There's something about the impact. I think that makes it feel so you know so dynamic. Yeah. The last image is of Furiosa rising into Joe's Citadel, Max having melted into the crowds. George Miller disclosed, quote, very early on, I had Max going up to the top of the Citadel with them, but Tom Hardy picked that up very early. Max would never go. He wasn't even remotely ready for that. We end on the idea of Furiosa and the others taking over all of the resources. It then kind of leaves us the lingering question, are they going to do any better? That's, that's just it. Right. I mean, that maybe is the message message of it, mm-hmm. the entire film, the theme. And, you know, it's funny about this. I was thinking about um, we had discussed that sort of critique of it. It's them going out and coming back. Mm-hmm. What else are they going to do? Right. So, I mean, uh, I mean, they, they even looked at the alternative yeah. going across the uh, the salt farms. Yeah, they tried. Yeah. Matter of fact, yeah, they headed out. There's like they realized it was like so, of course, they had to go back and it forces you to think, well, you know what? Let's go back and make things better. Mm hmm. You know, let's let's not give up. Let's not run. Let's go back and make things better. If let's we can. fix what we have instead of looking for something else. What's the alternative? Yeah. Let's try. Yeah. So, I mean, if nothing else, you can, you can pull that from the film. Lastly, even though it is an independent movie in the series, it has references to other Mad Max pictures. For instance, the opening shot resembles the beginning of The Road Warrior. 
The music box one of the wives carries is a nod to the music box that Max gives the feral kid in the same movie. When Max suggests to Furiosa and the other women that they turn the rig around and drive back to where they have just come from, this is another nod to the Road Warrior, as is Max's misfiring shotgun, and when Max first approaches Furiosa with an unconscious body over his shoulder. He has a metallic brace on his leg, just like in Mad Max 2, and was presumably worn in that film because of the injury he sustains being shot in the knee at the end of the previous film. Right, yeah. I haven't seen all the movies. I, rem- I recall yeah. that. I remember, okay. yeah, I remember him, you know, there was... It was probably the only things that would tie me between Gibson and Hardy. Okay. Is, is those little elements, like, you know, having the brace and the whole thing. And his vehicle, obviously. I mean, mm. his vehicle. Which is, think about how they subverted expectations by his vehicle getting taken. Right away. Right away. Right away. And essentially, I don't know that, does he get it back? No. Right? It's destroyed. Yeah. It's smacked. Think about that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they, a signature element. That'd be, you know, like, you know, Batman could throw all the batarangs he wants. He can make more. Yeah. But, I mean, the Batmobile, you smash up the Batmobile, presumably he's got one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, you don't smash up, again, unless there's a, a, a motorcycle that can be derived from the parts that are left, mm-hmm. <laughs> like in uh, Dark Knight. But, Granted, I mean, the movie couldn't have functioned with it being there. No, it, and it wasn't necessary. Yeah. You know, I didn't miss it. But, I mean, it's so subvert. Like, they subvert so many expectations in that movie. Mm-hmm. The fact that, let's face it, I mean... Mad Max, it's his namesake. It's not his movie. It's no, really kind of Furious's movie and Nux. Yeah. Really, I mean, they have the most um, uh, character development. Yep. So, I mean, that's True. that's if nothing else, that's what makes it rewatchable for me. The fact that I'm finding the older I get and the more films I watch, I embrace that sort of the, the differences. The differences, sure. and I embrace when someone takes a chance in, in movies and in TV. Mm. And so that's maybe that that may be why it it cracked my top ten, knocking out some pretty heavy hitters. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the movie itself, uh, it opens with Max being chased down and captured by the war boys in a pretty crazy sequence. One of the things that I noticed in kind of this whole thing is that uh, there are certain small portions where it looks like the frames are sped up like it's unnaturally fast. Right. And this tends to happen, too, when like the war boys are spraying the silver. Yeah. Like it almost looks like they're like flailing at a really weird frame rate. Yeah, the frame rates are uh, speeded up and yeah. and slowed down in, in really interesting ways throughout the entire film. Mm. You know, and and one thing I noticed too is like with the spraying, that's again, character building yep. and world building stuff. The whole, the, the Valhalla and yeah. Witness Me and all that. Think about that. They created a religion yeah. within that as well. With a Morton Joe know? being kind of at the center of it. Yeah, but a Morton Joe is, Morton Joe is the David Koresh to... Yes, but it's still their form of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Whatever they, you know, around the machines and around, like they created. Like if Morton and Joe goes, I imagine they'll still have that that sort of ideal. Mm. It'll be under you someone know, Furios- will take his place under Furiosa. Yeah, but they're sort of um, their code mm-hmm. and the idea of saying we're going to make war. Yeah, you know, we're go, not we're going to go out and fight. You know, you know, you're not you're not you know, and you're in no shape to make war. Think about that. I mean, it's pretty interesting yeah. the way they play it. They take him to the Citadel for use as a blood bag to keep the Arabian <laughs> body is alive. Uh, he unsuccessfully tries to escape. Uh, we have the scene where he sees the flashes of the people that he let die, as they say, although we never really find out who any of them are. Right. Um, the one that he sees the most is that little girl throughout the movie, mm-hmm. who we assume is his daughter, but apparently she's not. No. For one, Max never had a daughter. Oh, okay. So that's just not a thing. According to both the tie-in comic book and the video game released around the same time, her name is Glory. However, the game and story have conflicting stories about her, 
So there's no real canonical answer aside from the one Miller probably created in his head and didn't tell us about. Right. And you, you know, I'm at also at a place where I don't need answers to all that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how about you. I mean, I it know felt a little weird to me because I assumed it was his daughter. Right. Which I guess if nobody tells you otherwise, you can just roll with because why not? Right. And to be honest with you, I mean, I'll make an admission myself. I think I may be seen Mad Max, the original Mad Max, mm-hmm. like once, but like in 1985. Like, okay. I have no recollection. I have almost no recollection of that movie. Yeah. And I remember not liking it. Oh. Um, ironically, no. I remember, um, I mean, everybody hates Beyond Thunderdome. Well, most people hate okay. that movie. But I was in an era where like, it was on HBO like every other day. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I've probably seen, I've probably seen Beyond Thund- Thunderdome more than Fury Road. Okay. Uh, in, in, you know, but I can rectify that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will. <laughs> yeah. uh, we meet Immortan Joe, who lords over the Citadel and its people. Joe turns on the water for only a few moments before shutting it off. He then sends Furiosa driving a war rig along with several war boys collect the fuel from gas town right and then we had the uh, the scene with the steering wheel like you said or actually no that comes uh a moment later it's, when, yeah. when she diverts course yeah because yeah because he has to they have to rally rally the uh, right. war the war the war, <laughs> war boys yeah, war boys uh she does divert from the road and starts heading east when joe discovers this he runs to the chamber of his wives who are missing he gathers the war boys to go after furiosa and one of them is named nux he takes his blood bag along as he's not strong enough in his current condition and that just so happens to be Max, who he straps to the front of his vehicle. Right. I like that visual of him being that's right. there. Although it uh, like maybe that's one of the things that kind of tweaks me about it. Like having the blood running like an, he clearly has like an open wound with like a bloodline running from one person yep. to another. I'm just like grossed out by Ooh, that. And that hook too, Ugh. that hook where, yeah, that hook where it actually is, uh, we have to pull it out too. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. a little fine. No. The, the gauge on that needle is, is pretty high, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was not pleasant. No. Uh, another tribe, the Buzzards, discover Furiosa and go after her, leading to a battle between all three factions. This is the first time we see the true fanatical nature of the War Boys, like you kind of talked about their religion. Um, one of them is badly injured and sprays the chrome on their face, yells, witness me, before making a kamikaze dive into an enemy vehicle. Crazy, right? I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I've said crazy like 12 times, but there's no better, no better. <laughs> it is a crazy movie. Um, you know, bonkers, insane, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the idea that, um, again, based on that religion, it's there's your honor to die in service of making war. It you know, is very right? Viking-like, so yeah. it makes sense that they would reference Valhalla. Valhalla, right, yeah. yeah. And you know, it also makes you wonder, too, like how they cobble together their little bits of past history to form mm. their their current ideology. Right. You know, where, you know, did, was there a library at some point where they could find these bits and images and, and how did they get passed on sure. in this future world? It's, you know, it's kind of a cool yeah. way to kind of think of it. Totally. In an attempt to lose everyone, Furiosa takes her war rig into a giant sandstorm, which is one of the more impressive looking things mm-hmm. in the movie for sure. Even though that was almost certainly done CGI. Oh, yeah, there's no way they found that a cyclone, yeah. that nice bright orange cyclone. It looks you amazing know? though. Yeah, it does. Uh, Nux attempts a suicide run in his vehicle, but Max interferes, leading to a massive crash, which was one of the most unbelievable parts of the movie to me, because how the hell did they survive that? No one should have survived that. <laughs> that vehicle right. gets shredded. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything must have got shredded. How did anyone survive? How did anyone pass through that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Max awakens, uh, still chained to Nux, and sees the war rig in the distance. He makes his way there to discover Furiosa and Joe's five escaping wives, cleaning themselves and removing their chastity belts. Right. And there was probably, that's some serious slippage was probably happening right around that time. Yeah, absolutely. 
Furiosa and Max begin to fight when Nux wakes up and joins in. After the fight, they notice Joe's forces on the way. Max attempts to steal the war rig and drive off, but it shuts down due to Furiosa's kill switches. Yeah. Shows what kind of a character he is right away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He was, he was, he was going to ditch him. Yeah. He's no a survivor. It. That's yeah. it. That's right. Look out for number one. Absolutely. She and his wives go back into the war rig and Nux sneaks on board. We're told that they're attempting to get to the green place. Mm-hmm. So now we actually have our MacGuffin, if you will, yep. or our, our end point. Yeah. Nux jumps out at them, but they toss him from the rig <laughs> and he still holds on to like the piece of one of their gowns. Mm-hmm. Furiosa has made a deal with a group of biker bandits to block the mountain pass with a rock slide in exchange for their fuel pod. When the bikers see how many vehicles are pursuing, they take off in the rig. Yeah, they had to renegotiate that deal. Oh, yes. Fast. <laughs> <laughs> I like that uh, Max refused to say his name and she's like, I'll just call you fool. Yeah, that's like, right. when I yell out fool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a signal. Yeah. And it, that could be interpreted like that's even a better way to signal than to yell out his actual name because they could think that she's calling them a fool. Right. When that's actually the signal to Max. Now pursued by everyone, Joe closes in on the rig. Nux tells him that he can get aboard. When he leaps across, his chain catches the roof and he drops his gun. He's just shamed being in front of Joe and doing that. Mm-hmm. Splendid, uh, one of the wives, opens a door as a human shield but falls from the rig when the door breaks off. She dies when Joe's vehicle hits her. Capable, another wife, finds Nux aboard the rig and consoles him as he's distraught after failing Joe. Here's the thing, like, those, na- are those names, I don't know if they're ever uttered. They're not. Right? They're not. Well, think about that. I mean, the fact that they don't feel the need to even provide you everyone's name. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's again the world building right? that he did that he didn't feel was necessary to share with us right or maybe he, you know what i can imagine you know being a creator i can imagine there's a point where all those names exist in the in the script mm-hmm. right and remember how you mentioned there's a very limited amount of uh tom hardy there's probably a point where he speaks a bit more mm-hmm. and he just he just whittled it down to you've got this like this perfect little violent nugget the most efficient <laughs> form yeah, yeah that's right yeah and maybe they are in there uh and if they are they're just so uttered under somebody's breath or quickly mentioned that nobody remembers them or do you really care no it's not important honestly it really isn't at night the rig becomes stuck in a field of mud but the bullet farmer goes ahead furiosa takes out his light blinding him at the same time yeah so that way he couldn't really dial in on them Mm -hmm. smart yeah they use a winch to pull the rig out of the mud and max takes off to go after the bullet farmer after a few explosions are heard in the distance, Max returns with a supply of guns and ammo. Right, yeah. And he's pretty beat up, too. He you can is. Tell he went through it to get it. Although the blood on him, they say, is not his blood. Makes sense. Yeah. In the morning, Furiosa tells Max how she was taken from the green place as a child. They come across a tower with a naked woman screaming for help. Max says it's a trap, and Furiosa gets out and yells out her affiliation to the clan. So they'll kind of reveal themselves, which right. they do. Yeah, of course. And the, and the funny thing about that is like... um. Again, when you see Road Warrior, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming at some point <laughs> Road Warrior might, might make into your list. This, yeah, that that harkens back to Road Warrior again. Another sort of touch touch tone to uh, oh, okay. to, to Road Warrior. Interesting. You'll see. This is also uh, noticeably a clan of all women. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was always that way or if those are just the surviving people oh, here. The original survivors of the quote unquote the Green Place. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that we are. I'm sure George does. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> yeah. he does. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that we're meant to know. Yeah. You know? A group of women on bikes emerge and welcome Furiosa back. She says that they're going to the green place and the women say 
that they would have already passed it on the way to where they currently are. Mm. The muddy swamp area they passed through was the green place, but it has since become uninhabitable. Yeah, it's uh, the gray place, the bluish gray place now, right? Probably yeah. the biggest gut punch of the movie. Yeah, right. And it's um, this is why I kind of um, I mentioned it as a devil's advocate that kind of it's going in one direction and coming back. Mm-hmm. But along the way, there's this really interesting stuff along that path, mm-hmm. right? And that path back. Yeah. And and that's part of it. That's sort of that that real emotional, like, now what? Yeah. What do we do? Right? And and it's and it's reflected in the performances. Totally. Like, right. We particularly uh, you know, Charlize is Theron's performance. I mean, it's like I mean, I, I did all of this for a bunch of mud. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Just going on hope. And uh, there's Max's line too, where he's like, Hope is a mistake. And which is also what kind of leads them back to the Citadel, which I don't know if that's supposed to be a purposeful message of the movie. Right. But it gets them to go on the path that works best for like a survivor. Well, I think it's the the connective tissue to get you to that ultimate. Yeah. That ultimate goal. Right. Sorry. So goal number one doesn't work. Right. Clearly, (laughs) you know, there's no green place. So, all right. So I've got, we've got to get you on the path to do, you got to do something. Yeah. Right. So that's. Without knowing that about the, the green places fate. Furiosa might have gone across the salt plains right. in search of something better. But having learned that, probably accepts the path back to the Citadel right. as the best option. That's the one that's a sure thing. Like, it's there. They know it's there. Right. But And they also know the risk. Yeah. Right? The, what they're going back through, too. The fact that you know how hard it would be to get back. Yeah. And who you've got to, uh, you know, who and what you have to deal with. They have to pass by the <laughs> the people waiting for them on the way back. Absolutely. Furiosa tells Max that they plan on riding across the salt flats in search of a home. He stops them and convinces them to return to the Citadel because at least they know there's fresh water and greenery there. They should also currently be unguarded with everyone out looking for them, and they can trap Joe and his army in the canyon. Right. Although it did make me think, like, I guess they were kind of saying that the war boys remaining were not in a state to fight them. But I was like, isn't there still an army there? Kinda. I, I get the impression like he emptied out he that must whole have. Citadel, like of all the war, war boys. That's yeah. that's the impression. That's I right. Got. When they get back, there's only like the kids, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's some kid, in the, you know, and the guys manning the uh, the winches and stuff. Those, yeah, yeah. Those guys, that's but, true. And all the poor people living in the canyon, <laughs> and they're people. not. They don't care. Yeah, yeah they'll accept whoever's yeah, going to give them what they want. For Christ's sakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The war rig is spotted by Joe's army from a distance and gives chase as they're aware of what their plan is. Uh, I love the sequence here with the polecats swinging yes. back and forth. That is one of the coolest set pieces of the whole and movie the in my mind. Composition of it. Oh my god! That widescreen composition of mm-hmm. it. You know, with the with the rig in the foreground and them swaying back and forth, and it's all incredible. real stunts again. But how do you? Here's the thing, right? I mean, obviously, the recorded, re, entire recorded history of film, there's been these massive sort of. Sure wide scope shots i mean you think back to like you know your cleopatra's and your you know your ben-hur's and all these you know all these scenes we have these you know uh lawrence of arabia these massive vistas but to fill it with those images and and, and it be composed right and yeah to capture all that on cameras it's so super impressive super impressive yeah yeah it really is max falls from the rig but furiosa catches him distracted she's left vulnerable and gets stabbed in the side As they approach the canyon, Nux drives the rig and Furiosa boards Joe's vehicle. She hooks Joe's mask onto the wheels of his car, ripping it and part of Mm. his face right off. Mm. Now that Joe's dead, they start making their way off the rig and onto Joe's vehicle. Right. And then you think about, too, the scenes with the um, the sun 
He's got a really wild name. I can't remember what Nathan, his name. Well, I forget what his name in the movie. The big guy. Uh, yeah, Nathan Jones is the actor. Oh, okay. He yeah. was a former WWE wrestler. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, okay. a short run. Right. But I recognized him right away. Did you really? Yeah, I did. <laughs> but he's got a wild name, too. It's something yeah. like Erectus, something Erectus. Rictus, Rictus, yeah, Rictus, yeah. Erectus, I think is his name. Oh, it actually is in the next Is it really? Oh, I'm sorry about that. I jumped no. the gun. <laughs> <laughs> Before Nux can cross, Rictus rips the engine off the rig, and Nux whispers, witness me. Directly at capable before sacrificing himself by overturning the rig and collapsing the overpass. That is, he delivers that line so well too. When he just, it's softer yes. than any other time anyone else Wait, has said it because yep. they're all like yelling it out as like a battle cry. And here's like he's really like, remember me, just yeah. you specifically. Yeah, please remember me. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a back and forth movie, just nothing but stunts, right? <laughs> nothing going on. Nothing to see here, people. There's nice little relationships built in here. It really is. Not only that relationship that's really good, even though they don't spend a ton of time on it, right. the Nux and Capable relationship, there's enough of it in there to kind of give us the idea. Yeah. Um, but the way that the trust is built between Max and Furioso over the course of the movie, I really liked. Right. And and, and it was it had to be earned. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, like you like you stated earlier, I mean, he, he was ready to leave them. Absolutely. He would have left them all in the dust. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't going to make another connection so that way he could lose someone, right? And it's or, just the way this world works, right? Is you don't trust people to yeah. survive. Clearly, right? There's not a lot of, let's face it, the, the, the film establishes there's not a lot of trustworthy folks to, uh, sure. to get at, you yeah. know? And the fact that those two formed a bond through that, <laughs> through extreme circumstances, it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. They arrive back at the Citadel and Max shows the crowd Joe's dead body before dumping it over the side. When Furiosa emerges, the crowds cheer and turn the water on. As the vehicle is lifted up by a platform, Furiosa sees Max disappearing into the crowd. They acknowledge each other with a nod of respect before he slips away to continue down his own path. Right. And the camera angle on that is great. So good. Right. Imagine like being able to see him amidst that crowd Mm -hmm. and then he disappears. Yeah. You know, and then what? I love the way the movie ends too with the the platform rising and it's kind of, it almost does like a wipe, like a vertical wipe to get us from that and out of the movie. Yeah, and that's again that all of that is considered. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a, oftentimes there are happy accidents when you, whenever you, I'm sure you're doing any kind of uh, filming, you know, or recording, but um, that's considered. I mean, just like the, to bring that platform up to wipe the screen like that, it's a, it's brilliant. It really is. Yeah, love it. That is Mad Max Fury Road. Gotta love it. We did it. So <laughs> yes, like we said, it is much more than just a movie about driving to one place. And driving back. And it's that. <laughs> it is also that, though. It is that. Yeah. And, and that's why, again, for me, I'm, gonna, I'm in the, firmly in the camp of the rewatchable camp. Mm-hmm. Um, I've probably seen it, uh, you know, obviously seen it two or three times at the movies. Then, you know, like everyone else downloaded it. So I've probably seen it another three or four times. Sure. And then here's the, here's the thing what, what cements it for me in terms of being one of my favorites. Um, I was on a business trip in Finland, ironically enough. Okay. Uh, working on video games there. And they had us all, all us Boston people in the, in the hold up in this uh, uh, conference room. <laughs> and what we did to kind of pat, like just to kind of get us en- ourselves energized, like I had it on my iPad. We fired it up on the Apple TV on their big screen in the, uh, oh wow. And cranked it. Yeah. Cranked it. And, and every now and then we would see people because it's a glassed in office. We'd see people kind of peeking around the corner to go, what the hell are these Americans doing in yeah. there? And we was like to witness me and, you know, Valhalla <laughs> and all that thing. And it got us. It got us through like a people end look of a in long the office day. and you're standing on a table, right. spraying chrome on your face, yelling, <laughs> "Witness right. me!" And they're like, "They are uh, that's Americans. Yeah. That, that's, how they, that, that's how they think we all behave." Yeah, you know. <laughs> but anyway, so that so it cemented me because I've got like on a personal 
attachment sure. to it. A, that initial um, slap in the face, seeing the film for the first time at that premiere mm-hmm. and not knowing what I was in for and, and being blown away. But B, that sort of really personal, like bonding moment with all of us in a room kind of watching it and just like it getting us through the rest yeah. of the day, you know, after a long day of drawing and creating and whatever we were doing. So yeah, I got that. Yeah. So Fury Road. So as we wrap things up, what can we promote for you? Well, I have quite a few things to promote now, Please Rob. tell us. Well, if you want to see any of my artwork, again, my name is Roger Andrews, but you can look me up on Facebook. It's Roger Andrews Art. So I got my little fan page there. Uh, on the old interwebs, it's uh, Rand, R-A-N-D, 247.com. That's where you can see my artwork that's related to... Uh, the advertising and the the toy stuff and the, the video professional game work. stuff, the professional work, yes. the stuff that had me in Finland. <laughs> um, but additionally, a new thing, which is uh, it's called Sketchy Go Ichi on YouTube. That's my channel. It's Sketchy Go I C H I E. Look it up. It's essentially it's me doing artwork, so you get to see me demoing. Um, I do a lot of pop culture stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did some Game of Thrones and I did some, I probably should do a Fury Road one. Not yeah. That we're talking about sure. it. Um, you know, so there's, a, there's some Jon Snow and some Daenerys and some dragons and all that stuff yeah. in there. You know, some Marvel and DCs, just fun illustrations. But I also add a little sort of teaching component yeah. to it. And I and I try to give some instructions, some tips and for aspiring artists or uh, just people just like to look at art and watch it come to life yeah if you like so. seeing art created from nothing and just rendered out in the process of it right i yeah. highly recommend people yeah. check it out oh look at that i got my first recommendation yeah. i appreciate that and if people don't know how to spell it then i will just put the link in the show notes oh, even uh, on the website at thegeekgeneration.com so they can cool. get there directly that way too definitely so. awesome well thank you so much for being back for another episode of random movie club oh i got more for you oh yes <laughs> i look forward to it Random Movie Club is a production of The Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts on The Geek Generation Network at thegeekgeneration.com. You can support Random Movie Club and get access to exclusive bonus content by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. Join our community on Discord at thegeekgeneration.com slash discord. Our theme song is provided by Michael McLeod of Wolfstead Music, A link to his site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening, and make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss Shutter Island. See you then.